But like this, what you all are doing is like literally an archive of like who you are, where you are in this profession right now. It's going to be cool. Rainy. Hello, my name is Drea. And this is Luna. And welcome to Collected Knowledge. Today we have another interview episode for you. Before we do that, Luna, how are you doing today? I'm feeling optimistic and strong. I have been going to physical therapy this year for my elbow. Um, As you may recall, I had a devastating rock climbing fall back in November, but I'm feeling better. Um, I'm also noticing that I'm feeling anxious, much of it due to the Omicron variant, Um, but ultimately I feel very safe because our school went back to school virtual after winter break and so I've been able to sort of ease back into the school without being put on the front lines um in the school building so I feel strong I feel a little bit anxious I feel safe and I am optimistic right now Drea how are you today that's beautiful I am feeling the burden of education of the pandemic um but you know had a three-day weekend some time to do other things um and I feel like January is a good month to reflect mm-hmm. I feel like it's supposed to be December but I'm using January <laughs> to reflect so I've just been reflective should we dive in all right let's do it <clears throat> Minakshi Mukherjee grew up in Southern California, but is now a proud Michigander after eight years teaching elementary and middle school in both Detroit public schools and charter schools across Detroit. During her time as a classroom teacher, Minakshi worked as an organizing fellow for the Detroit Federation of Teachers, AFT Local 231, and helped form a chapter of Michigan Acts, AFT Local 6482, at Southwest Detroit Community School, serving as chapter chair and lead negotiator. She is currently the leadership development and internal organizing coordinator at the American Federation of Teachers, Michigan, where she works closely with statewide union leaders on training and policy projects supporting educators and the necessary work they do every day. She received her Bachelor's of Science in Anthropology at the University of California, Riverside, and her Master's of Arts in Educational Studies from the University of Michigan. Her work is driven by a deep belief in equity, justice, and humanizing schools for students, staff, and the communities they are part of. Without further ado, here's Minakshi. Hello, Minakshi. I want to just jump right in today. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. Hi, Drea. Hi, Luna. I'm okay. It's Saturday and it's um, sunny outside and there's snow on the ground. So yeah, I'm, I'm as good as one can be. Excellent. Yeah. So our first question for you, we always like to start off with who are you? So in this present moment, who are you? Um, wow, this is a big one. Um, I am, this is a hard question because I've recently gone through a transition. Um, I think if it asked me a couple years ago, I would have said I was an educator. Um, I was, a. I still am a community member and in many ways I still am an educator. Um, I just work in a different sphere of people. 
But I, I think above all, I am a person who loves a lot of people dearly. Many of those people are teachers um, and staff in schools. And I am somebody who um, is really hopeful, which is where a lot of my work has uh, stemmed from and been anchored in. Yeah, I think at my very core, it's, um, I'm a hopeful person who really likes people and joking around and creating things and um as someone who's been at the receiving end of your hopefulness and jokes and and just like you as human being it's been an honor to be on this earth with you actually (laughs) okay tell us about your experiences in education yeah um so i am coming up on my 10th year um Yeah, 10th year of being in education. I moved to Detroit August of 2013. And it all started when I was in college. Um, I worked at a middle school my junior and senior year. I was in like an AmeriCorps program. I was doing tutoring. Um, I essentially worked as like a parapro in a middle school. and I really liked it. I liked working with young people. I liked the chaos of like a building that had hundreds of people in it. I just thought kids were fun. And I mean, I was still a kid um, in many ways. I was 21 year old. And then I found out, out about uh, Teach for America and I was an anthropology major. I applied, didn't really think I was going to get in, but then I did. And I had put Detroit as my number one placement. And I was born in Chicago. I lived there. My parents met there. I was born there. Um, I was never really been a California person. Um, and so I, I felt, I don't know why I picked Detroit. Um, I had read a bit about like the political, um, like environment of like charters and the education system here. And it seemed interesting. And I figured if I was going to do this, I, I should do it. Um, I shouldn't like, if I was gonna, if I was gonna jump both feet in without any teacher training, <laughs> without any understanding of what was um, happening in this very, very important sector of our world, um, yeah, why not go to the heart of where the battles are happening? So, yeah, I got on a plane with two bags uh, full of my Forever Twenty One clothing, oh. um, and I landed in. Detroit. And um, I lived in Hamtramck for four years. I worked, uh, my placement school was Wyman's Academy on the east side. Um, I taught fourth grade there. And uh, I taught for eight years in total um, at three different schools. Two were charter, one was at DPSCD. Um, And just recently left. Back in February of 2021, I left the classroom and now I work for the American Federation of Teachers, AFT Michigan, as our leadership development and internal organizing coordinator. And so I now work for the State Federation of our Teachers Union. I work with a lot of of our local presidents. So teachers, uh, support staff locals. I work with our higher ed leaders um, who are all um, leading their uh, unions at their various school districts, ISDs, universities, community colleges, um, and trying to push for statewide 
policy work and also local level organizing, advocating for teachers and that kind of work. So I've moved a little bit away from, I've moved a lot of bit away from uh, classroom teaching, but more into the systems side of um, and the like structural pieces of the education system in Michigan. That's a, that's like, that's, it's really cool to hear like, like that journey, because I feel like when I was looking, I was choosing my placements also, I was, for me, like, yeah, Detroit was number one, because like, I just grew up in the area and I knew, I knew more context. Yeah. And so I was like, I would feel more comfortable, like having like less barriers to entry. You know, something I thought, yeah, it's something I thought, I thought about a lot. I think this was um, the way I kind of think about, and I I think I've talked to Luna about this before, like um, every, so I taught for eight years and every year I taught, I, I gained a new perspective. I shed a belief that I had, um, I changed and I viewed the work with a wider just like different lenses um which is interesting about teaching because it is something that you can be a first year teacher and you can be a a veteran who's heading into their 30th year and there's value because the the environment and the context of the work changes and your perspective and what you're bringing to the work changes Um, and so i think it was around year like four or five that i I was really grappling with like, do I belong in these communities that I'm teaching in? Um, I'm a South Asian woman who grew up in like a very affluent suburb from Southern California. And I was like, do I belong here? Like, should I be actually teaching in a suburb to other like Indian American kids? Um, and, um, And I thought a lot about like, yeah, what if I had done like Teach for America in LA? Um, or if I had been, because um, I did spend a lot of time when I came here, like having to just like a like and it was it, it's a culture shock. We don't realize that within our own country. Like they're they're mm-hmm. Michigan is very different from where I grew up. Um, just like on an like even on just like a seasonal basis, like the fact that I now own coats and socks, like for the first <laughs> Three years I lived here, I didn't own socks because I didn't, I didn't need Ew. socks. Um. <laughs> I had like maybe like five pairs of ankle socks that I was rocking like here. <laughs> Wait, I sweat. I sweat so much throughout the day, regardless of season. So it's like I need two pairs of socks every day. So for you to say that, like, that know, is a culture shock for me to hear right now. Listen, I will never forget some of the outfits I wore my first year teaching. Oh my God. I wore... I was straight up, like, I thought I was working in, like, a Fortune 500 or something. I was wearing a pencil skirt and, like, stilettos. What? Wait, I feel like that's so New York. Or that's what I think New York would be. I'll have to find a picture. I'll never forget this one outfit I had. It was, like, a blue skirt from, like, Ann Taylor. Like, uh, with a sweater and then straight up heel. I was teaching fourth grade. You fast forward to my, you fast forward to like my mid-career, which was probably my most appropriate uh, outfit (laughs) choices. I was wearing like, like ankle slacks, you know, like the like 
mm-hmm. snappy casual stuff um, with like dance yeah. bow clogs. So like comfortable shoes. And like, I wear like a cute top with like a cardigan. But then you fast forward to year eight, y'all. I was like, <laughs> I was rolled in, in the same jeans every day, like a crew neck. I have like five crew necks that I was just like, rotating rotating <laughs> and like sneakers with like a jean jacket like I was rocking like a Canadian what do they call it like a Canadian tuxedo and it was just um a Canadian tuxedo yeah it's when you were all denim oh. <laughs> sorry to everyone <laughs> podcast head is actually shifting from its original focal point to uh fashion of educators in Michigan. I think so, this yeah. is very relevant and that important. Could be an Instagram segment. We can do an Instagram like on transformations too. From Canadian tuxedo to fine. I'll have to find some some photos of what I used to wear. There were a couple years where I really leaned into the like elementary school teacher like seasonal outfits. So like I would wear like the pumpkin earrings during Halloween, like you know. Um, but that didn't last too long. But there's some teachers who do it really well. Um, yeah, but I what? How did we get? What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> being in Detroit <laughs> yeah like the, the shifts of like <laughs> okay shock yeah um so yeah I thought for a long time but I think like ultimately what ended up happening because I was I was I was a transplant was I had to be really really intentional about building community and like finding like listening to others following others showing up for others um and I think like um we've thought about it's funny because now we my husband and I have thought about moving um and it's like well we have so many we have so many like everything is here now um our whole our whole lives are here um and to like lose the community that we've built um would be really hard so um yeah, but I came, a, you know, yeah, I came, I came a, a, a f- quite a far distance from uh, where I started. So, but it's been fun. I love Michigan. I really do. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, well, we, we met Minakshi through our um, Institute 2019 summer, but neither of us had you as like, our coach. So, like, I knew you existed and I was like, that's cool. I wish that was my coach just on the sideline. <laughs> I mean, I had a good coach too, but you know, I was just admiring Manakshi. But Manakshi, our friendship and just like bond and connection forcibly formed with my outreach and outcry to you. And um, I was at a charter school and we had no union and teachers were suffering. So I'd love for you to share how your passion for organizing happened on the school level and how that's helped you transition into your current role at AFT. Yeah. As I have moved away and like been able to really reflect on the eight years, I think it actually started when I worked at my first school in Detroit and um, my partner teacher there, I was teaching fourth grade and my partner teacher was Mr. K and he was a, He's probably in his late 40s, um, mid late 40s, white man from I think like Macomb County or something. 
his wife was a nurse. He had like four or five kids that he was putting through parochial school. And he and I were making damn near the same amount of money. And he was, he, he was the reason he was one of the reasons Um, there were many, many people and things that uh, supported me my first couple years teaching, but he was um, the very regular and consistent reason that I stayed um, and was able to manage what we all know is like sheer chaos. Um, Mm -hmm. And I saw him like struggle a lot and I saw him work really hard. Um, And I saw a lot of teachers that I worked with at that school struggle, but show up every day and try really, really hard, despite the fact that they were making like $44,000 and raising a family. And here I was a 22 year old making $39,000 with like very little training. And I was just supporting myself. I also had a family safety net Um, I also had the privilege of being fresh out of college. So if that hadn't worked out, I probably could have gotten another job. I would have been seen as like a young new person on the job market. But a lot of my coworkers were not that. They were older. They had gone to school. They had student loan debt. They had families. They had medical bills. Um, Things like retirement, things like healthcare were really, really important to their like well-being. And not that they weren't important to me, but as again, as a 22-year-old, I was not sitting there combing through my 401k and my, you know, debating what kind of healthcare plan. I was like, give me whichever one, like, you know, like I'm not going to end up in an ambulance and whatever. Um, And so I realized, and I would talk to them a lot and I'd be like, you know, but none of them ever were like, I'm going to quit because they couldn't, they couldn't quit. This was how they were making money. And I think a lot of people, when we talk about like not liking a job, especially in like boomer generations, like our like parents and older folks will say, well, like, if you don't like it, just find somewhere else to go. And that argument frustrates me because it's like, but I, but these are my people, like, this is my school. Mm -hmm. These are my people. This is my school. And it's not that I don't want to be here. It's that I want it to be better. And I think that that's, um, that has always been my driving piece around this is that I don't want to abandon this ship. I don't want it to just be better for me either. I want it to be better for all of us. And I want it to be better for these kids and for their families and for the surrounding community. And if I leave, I make it better for me, maybe, maybe, but like, we all know we it's 2021. We all know you leave something bad, you go to something good. It's only a matter of time before you find the bad in that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, are we going to spend our whole lives jumping ship? Um, or are we going to actually change things? So all that to say, um, I really learned, I think like when we all enter teaching, we start, not all of us, that's not a fair judgment, but I know for at least me and for, I think a lot of young teachers, especially that go through Teach for America, we enter as like, with a with a relatively large savior complex, um, I am going to come and I'm going to help these kids um, and this community. And I'm also going to learn, you know, you'll see people who are like, this school and these kids taught me so much. Um, and all that is true. And we can build relationships and and all of that. But I think 
a huge takeaway I took from my first charter school was I learned a lot about like what it was like to be a worker, um, what it was like to be a middle class American worker in education. Um, and I was like, damn, this sucks. <laughs> and so I went to another charter school. Yeah, I went to another charter school. I, le I, I left. Um, I was like, I can't do this. And I remember feeling I remember even saying it to people. I was like, I really want to stay at this school. I love these. I love my coworkers. I love my kids. I have like built programs here. I have like, I, I am in a groove and I love this place, but I simply cannot make $39,000. I just, I can't. Mm -hmm. um, and I was working lunch duty. I, there were just so many issues with the working conditions that I was like, I like, my mind knew that this was like not sustainable. And so even, so I left and I went to another charter school and in my like young naivety was like, yeah, this is going to be like better. It was like the cool progressive charter school in Southwest Detroit that like all the young people were working at. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is it. <laughs> I show up. And like, it's, it was like, it was just like, <laughs> It was like the same. It was just the same. And <laughs> it was just that like we had put a prettier dress on. Um, like we were just doing it like it was like crumbling working conditions, but like make it artsy and cool. Wow. Yeah, if you still look at their website, Minachi's Front and Center. <laughs> yeah. I am I am the front. Oh, is it still, vibrant. Uh, still is it still uh I, I have I saw it this year and it, it was closed, right? Yeah, it's been closed for a couple of years, but um, yeah. And so um, that's where I really uh, began to understand what organizing was. Um, and we were a staff of roughly um, 28 teachers. Um, all in all, I think we were about 40 people, 40 school staff, um, which included parapros and uh our lunchroom folks and administrators. Um, and we were all, we were all relatively young, not all, but most. Um, I would say we were between the ages of like 25 and 40. Um, and we were very progressive. Um, we all, uh, at the time we were like the radical educators of like, the city we were like a community school um and but like things were still on a day-to-day -day basis things still sucked um we were still working long hours we had short lunches we weren't getting paid that well um and but we all really really cared we all really cared about the school about making the school a really stable place for us and for our kids and for our families. Um, and so organizing efforts had already kind of been like brewing um, before I showed up. And my first couple of years there um, really like, and I said all of that to say like, we all built really strong relationships with each other, um, like incredibly strong. Like these people are like still my best friends um, and we have not worked together for like, four or five years at this point. Um, but they are like my nearest and dearest friends. Um, and we built really strong relationships. We collaborated. We were like co-teaching. We were giving each other feedback, things that like I had just never experienced before. Um, and at the same time that we were doing all of that, we were also noticing like, hey, this is kind of, it's kind of fucked up that this is happening over here. Like, hey, 
this could probably be better if we changed, you know, a way a system worked in our school. Um, and I think it's also important to note that um, it was a predominantly white staff. Um, and uh, for a while, I think the main solution was like one-offs, right? Like one person would say, this is a problem for me. Let me go to the principal and talk to them about it. And it'll change. It'll hopefully change. And again, the problem with that is that we see an individual solution to a collective problem. Um, and so what you get with that, whether, and we all know that like bias is real and um, it impacts, it impacts all of us daily. Um, and so what you would see is you would see a, a young white female teacher have a problem with something, go to the principal or the administrative team and um, it would work out for them. And then you would maybe see a person of color who was a teacher or another staff member uh, go to the administrative team with a problem. And it wouldn't be like, it just, it, a solution wouldn't come out of that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we, we kept having these conversations and over time um, realized that we could be part of a larger solution that was collective um, and that that had to be the solution. Um, and it was, uh, it was a long road. It was, it took us um, ultimately though, I guess I'll TLDR this right a little bit. Um, ultimately what ends up is that we run an organizing, we run a multiple organizing campaigns um, and there's a lot of like, charter school uh, politics that are involved in this and that we we had some management company turnover and some like organizing around getting a new CMO. So you have these, so the way charter schools work is that you have an external or not an external, but you have a company that manages the school as opposed to like a public school district. Um, and those charter management companies um, can leave and ours did decided to leave. And so we had to find a new one. And so we organized a campaign around getting a local company local um, in that they weren't like based in Florida. Um, they were still like, not like a Detroit company um, to manage our school. Um, and we won that um, campaign with our school board. Um, and then we ran an organizing campaign to get a union. Um, and we filed, um, union cards and had an NLRB election with the National Labor Relations Board, and we won. Um, and then we had a big fight for our contract. Um, but all of these were like moments of collective action where like the 28 of us had to come together and had to like talk and understand and trust one another um, and have a lot of hope. Um, all of this, like in order for all of this work to happen, we had to fight off that, like somewhat like constant and predominant feeling of like, I as an individual can just leave mm -hmm. and like, I don't need this collective action. And like, we had to show up and, and that's what organizing is, right? Is like, your problems are my problems. 
there are problems and we can together create solutions and power to move them. Um, and that wasn't always easy because there were a lot of, a lot of times where people were like, well, that's not something that impacts me. So I'm not going to put my, I'm not going to put my like skin on the line for that issue. And, um, and it's hard, especially in education where, um, especially like as young teachers in like charters and in like programs like Teach for America where things like educator excellence and like being the number, like being a really good teacher. And the thing that like I realized and I think like thinking back to year, this was probably around year three or four, I was like, wait, what does it mean to be a really good teacher? Do we actually have a definition? Is there actually a way to measure that? And like, the answer is no. Mm-mm. The answer is no. There's no, there's no good way to be. There met, rather, there's many ways to be a good teacher. Um, and like, if we, if we're going to talk about differentiation and in instruction, that has to come with the belief that like kids need different things. Um, and that means that you can't just have, you can't have one assessment tool to measure what a good teacher looks like. Um, and yeah, and so you have to fight that though, to, to, because people, we want to be good. We want, especially in this work where like people's like lives and their young people's lives, we are given this like narrative that like their lives are on the line and like we are showing up every day and have to like be the ones. And again, it's like debunking that savior mentality of like, well, actually, no, like I alone am not. And I tell this to young teachers all the time, like you alone are not going to, we can, we impact people every day. Um, but like long sustaining impact on students is not going to come from an individual. It's going to come from systemic changes and those systemic changes have to come from collective action and power built by community members, school staff, and students themselves. Um, so I don't know where I started, but uh, I'll, yeah, I think um, I work for the union now and, um, and I did, um, the last school I worked at was in DPSCD. Uh, where I did organizing work as well. Um, and I think when I interviewed for my my position at AFT and as I was reflecting on like my time as a teacher and my time as an organizer and um, how I've shifted and changed, I think like the biggest lie I was ever told as a young teacher was that I had to leave the classroom to make a change and to impact kids in a bigger, like air, like quotation, bigger way. Mm -hmm. And when actually like it was through organizing that um, those things happened. Um, Because again, like removing ourselves and um, trying to like manage it away doesn't work. Um, so 
Yeah, it's um, it's been a long journey, and I didn't think I would end up here. I uh, don't come from a union family, um, and um, especially as like a South Asian woman, um, like labor is not, uh, especially in the um, diaspora, like labor is not something in the Indian community that is front and center and something that we think about as opposed to when you talk to a lot of folks, especially in Detroit, which is a union town, like a lot of people have UAW family members or like worked in the car industry. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I didn't see this, um, this like beginning my career as a teacher and ending kind of, or not ending, stopping, pit stopping wherever I am right now in my journey here, but, um, it aligned with my values. It aligned with my values as an educator to um, not only be a union member, but to fight for them. Um, because ultimately the working conditions of our school staff, and this includes everybody, right? Um, oftentimes we think about like education is just teachers, but like it's school staff, it's our paraprofessionals, it's our bus drivers, it's our uh, cafeteria workers, it's our secretaries, um, it's all of the like special services um, that exist in our schools, it's administrators. Um, they, like, I forgot what I was saying. Everyone is important in that yeah it's an ecosystem it's an absolute ecosystem um and oh yeah our the working conditions of all those people are then become the learning conditions of our students and they become the living conditions of the community mm. um like we know from research that when schools are shut down in communities they're central hubs and when they are shuttered down and boarded up it impacts the neighborhoods that they're in um and so, again, it's a ludicrous argument. It's such a ludicrous argument that makes me so upset when we talk about student achievement and we don't talk about the conditions beyond instruction that impact student achievement. Um, when you look at, like, I was talking to one of our local presidents. Um, he is the local president for one of our support staff unions in Macomb County. And... Um, he like painted this picture that I thought was really poignant and something that we don't think about a lot. Um, before a student even sees their teacher in the morning, they get on the bus, they see the bus driver. They enter the hallway at the school and there's probably a parapro or a support staff doing some sort of like hallway check or like just even walking. There might be another classroom teacher going to make copies. Maybe they have to go to the front office. They see the secretary. They hand over their slip. The principal and assistant principal are there. Then they walk to their to your classroom, and they pass five other teachers on the way. They pass the lunch lady as they grab their breakfast. They see a noon hour aide who's helping in the cafeteria. And then, like, finally, 15 minutes later, they're in your room. And, like, react as if, we, we think so beyond, like, we think, we look at the ecosystem and, like, ignore so much of it. Mm -hmm. um, when really, like, if that kid was showing up with something that they needed support around, they've already seen, like, 12 people. 
Um, and then we act like, oh, like a teacher giving them a high five at the door is like what's going to. It's the options. It's the the high five yeah. or the fist bump or the. Right. And then like if we, yeah. And so it's just, um, so I think, I think like also in this is like remembering that um, these conversations are so much bigger than just like teachers there. Um, there's a lot of people that make this ecosystem run. Um, and we have to fight collectively for it um, because decision makers are so removed from the ecosystem. They're so removed. I love the ecosystem analogy because it reminds me of nature and like, like, like as, as my time as an adult, I've really been appreciating nature just because like society, I feel like society has really shunned that for like man-made materials and materialistic things and like, but like to really appreciate nature and like the way things organically um, move and work together and coexist is something that I think is like beautiful to strive for because it's just, it's rooted in what's, 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 what's beneficial for like a whole community and not just beneficial for one. Yeah. Which is beautiful. And it makes something beautiful. Yeah. And if you remove any of, you remember when you're like in third grade and you like learn about the, like, I don't even know what it's called, but like what eats what, um, and you remove one of the things, right. And then everything else dies because you've taken away and not to like compare schools to like people eating each other, but, (laughs) but if we look at these, if we look at it as like processes that are reliant, on one another and we see it every day with staff shortages mm-hmm. when a specials teacher is out when yeah and you lose your preps when um there isn't enough coverage in a cafeteria or something needs to happen in that space and people have to take on people have to shift and take on other work And we joke about like the chaos of schools, but so much of it is because like the ecosystem of a school is not thought of in that way. Um, And is not then respected in that way. Teachers teachers have an incredibly hard job, but like support staff, our paraprofessionals, our student aid, like our aides, they are they are treated in a way that is is just they're not even thought of they're not considered and um and it's not it's not to make this into a like who has it worse but again it goes back to the like collective power piece of we both need each other and um and your issues are my issues. And so let's build power together. Um, but yeah, it's an ecosystem and and the community is part of it and kids are a part of it. And, um, and we don't think about that either. Um, we think about it in a really tokenizing way, in a way of like, you know, um, I and I mean, again, I worked at like a school where like we were a community school and we valued parents, but then like all of a sudden parents weren't allowed in the building. And it was just like, 
huh, that doesn't seem very, uh, that doesn't seem very thoughtful of us. Um, and like, what do we actually mean when we say we're a community school or that, um, yeah, how do we make that an authentic claim um, and something that we actually live? Um, but yeah, so the power is in, is in our staff. It is not in somebody making a single decision in a desk, at a desk, tucked away in an office with nice ambient lighting <laughs> and a warm cup of coffee. And the only AC unit in the school. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And it's made me think a lot about like what actually makes a good leader, a good school leader, because like, I don't know, I've, I've fluctuated back and forth. Do, do we need principles? Well, <laughs> let's talk about it. Say it. Do we need principles? Um, as we were organizing the union in Southwest, uh, we dreamt often as one does about what if we started our own charter school? And this is before I really had like a nuanced take about the opening and closings of charter schools and how they um, take away funding and things like that. But, um, you know, I think we've all, maybe we've all at some point dreamed, like, what if I could start my own school? What would it be like? And I think that it's a good exercise in realizing what do you actually want? Like, what do you actually value um, in a school community? Um, and so we, we, my friends and I, my coworkers and I, we, um, we like tooled around with like, well, what if we had like a cooperative uh, leadership structure? So there wasn't like a single principal or maybe there was, but like we kind of would take the administrative tasks and like delegate them. Um, and I don't know how that would work. And I'm sure there are probably some models. There's probably, I'm, I'm sure there's a school that does that and I bet they've got their own um, problems to deal with. But um, I do think it's possible to be a good leader. Um, and I think it has to be grounded in like valuing, like truly valuing, like actually valuing um, your staff. Do you and think that sincerity, why is the sincerity missing? Because people like power. People like power and, and it's like trendy, not trendy, maybe it is trendy, I don't know, but it's, I think, on trend in this age, and especially with, like, my, like, millennial generation, to be, like, compassionate power. Like, I'm compassionate, but I'm also powerful. Yeah. Right? It's that, like, that's what was happening at, our, at my school, at the charter school. They were, like, make sure you're talking directly to us, the administrators. Like, yeah. you know that we always listen and we're always working with you. And like, we can do this together da, 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 with that, while holding all that power yeah. in their decision-making to like keep us where we are. Yeah, it's like, um, I'm really kind. Yeah. But also I'll fire you. Uh, <laughs> employee. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's the like, I it's yeah it's it's like trendy boss I'm um, in a in a video <laughs> i'm gone but i'll fire you <laughs> and they often weaponize the compassion yeah when it comes to being exactly. 
to keeping their power. They'll say, well, like I did all these good things for you. Manipulative, um, you. Yeah. And I think that like a strong lead, strong school leader, um, I think they're hard to come by um, because I think, and I also think part of that is because of like the systems that we exist in um, and like, If you don't have a structure like a union, um, it's 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 nearly impossible to create a equitable balance of that power. Um, because what happens with unions is that they negotiate a contract, a collective bargaining agreement, um, with their employer that lists out working conditions, working hours and pay. And it's, it's a, it's a fair shot at it. It's not a, at the whim of the boss. Um, and so that's why unions are important. And that's why we can't rely on like the goodwill of a compassionate principal or a compassionate employer. Um, because then we fall into that like trendy boss void of like, I'm cool and kind, but I also have unilateral power to hire, fire, um, without just cause. And then again, it goes back to like how individuals benefit off of those systems. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, especially at my charter schools, um, witnessed so many people just getting walked off the property, like straight up fired midday, walked off the property, both schools I worked at. And they were always people of color. They were always black educators at the school. Um, Yeah, so power is big, power is big and people have a hard time understanding how power works. Um, And even though like we have a hard time understanding how power works, we still exist within structures of power. And um, and they still like the like waves that come from our actions within these structures of power impact others. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me was understanding that I, as an individual, am not the sole solution to anything, nothing like barely even like getting the laundry done in my house. Like I need my partner to help me do that. (laughs) Um, There are like so few things. (laughs) Maybe I'm exposing myself a little bit around like my inability to complete care tasks, but um, but yeah, I'm not not the sole solution to anything. I'm never going to be. And I don't want to be. I don't want to be making individual decisions for like a lot of people um, or for a system or for a community. Um, And input isn't good enough. Because- Write that down, everybody. Yeah, if I listen, it's still being filtered through my brain. It's still being filtered and then regurgitated through the f- implicit bias, through my perspective, through my mind, it's not the same. 
And so that's also kind of in this like compassionate boss framework is like, well, we're listening. We hear you, mm-hmm. you know, um, but this has to be like a hand in hand. We're doing this together. Yeah. Shared power. Yeah. It, it has to be shared power. It has to be. Um, and so, yeah, it's messy. It's really hard and it's really hard and it's scary. It's really scary. Um, and that's what makes organizing really hard is that you're overcoming your, you are overcoming and then you're helping other people overcome fear. Yeah. And like really face discomfort. And for many of us, we are socialized and raised within structures of like being respectful to your elders or to the person in charge. Um, and when you start organizing, you have to interrogate every single one of those beliefs. Wow. Um, yeah. Overcoming fear. Like I see a lot of like fear tactics just in our society, just to keep people silent. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, yeah. Fear is a big thing. And like, I feel, especially feel like in education, like fear is weaponized because it's like, oh, don't do this because you're going to harm children or like you mm-hmm. doing this, upsetting the systems that are like complicit is going to like affect children somehow. But it's like, no, what we're asking for is is going to actually help empower and liberate. But there's that that initial fear of like making that change. Mm. Yeah, can you say, Luna? I'm I'm just reflecting on last year, <laughs> like when yeah. Nakti was helping us organize at our school, and how much fear that I experienced while I was trying to get other people on board. So I was trying to like put on a face of confidence and like power as being a, like a first second year teacher with like who am I to come into school like that you know being TFA as well like it's something that I was like thinking about a lot during this conversation because I was really scared and also rightfully so our CEO was so so scary to me lots of retaliation and I was like didn't know how to handle and I'm so conflict averse so like to be put in this position and and I had to like really really like displace myself from the situation because like it's not about me and my fears it's like it's like it's more just like what needs to be done for the the collective good and for like <laughs> teachers to realize that too. And they're also fearful. So we're all just like fearful together. <laughs> How did it feel every time Luna got uh, a coworker to like give you a yes or like show up to a meeting? Yeah. Yeah, because so you know, what you were teaching me, Strategy 101, is like one-on-ones with all the teachers and staff. And so majority of them were like, no, obviously we're in a pandemic. I could also get fired at will employee. Like, this is not safe. Immediate no. So like to have a handful of yeses or even just like willing to listen and understand and also bring in their input of like, oh yeah, this is really unfair that this person got fired without a fair due process and this could happen to us. Um, we need to do something about it. So like the redirection in those thoughts and that willingness to like fight together 
yeah, it felt really good. Every yes was like, I'm not alone in this. And so we had a handful of people. And then I also had you always supporting me through it. I went through a lot of emotions. <laughs> There's always yeah. a basis of fear because it's like, we're all fighting for this and like, we can get through this. But also like at the end of the day, the contract that we were fighting under, we were still at will employees. So like CEO could fire us at any point, any second that they wished. Yeah, and organizing is um, one moment that happens in a organizing campaign is that you go public. And what that means is like you, um, it is like known that you are organizing. And um, what's hard about what you all were doing is that you weren't at the point where you're going public. Um, you were Apple employees. But one thing that um, is important to know is that um, workers are protected under what is called concerted activity. So if you are engaged in concerted activity around um, organizing a union, your employer, if they fire you and there is evidence, right? So in Luna's case, it was like emails back and forth that like she was talking to coworkers about issues at the workplace. Um, it was like meeting records. Um, they, they, cannot, they cannot fire you if there is proof of concerted activity. So it doesn't make it any less scary, right? Like you're- I didn't know that though. Remember like when you told me, I was like, oh, like that gave me so much power. It's like knowledge in your own rights is as yeah. a, regardless of that contract. And so it's, it's, you actually have more safety, mm -hmm. the more like proof there is um, that you were engaged in this, these sorts of activities and behaviors. Um, but then also like, yeah, as Luna was saying, like, as you build power and as more people come on board, um, I'll never forget the, one of the first, and this was like the very beginning of our organizing work at Southwest. Um, we delivered a letter to our principal with like demands, um, which is like kind of our first go at like an action um, and a little bit of a misstep, but I was so scared. I was so scared. And I was walking into the office with like 12 other teachers at the school. And I was still so scared. And I knew that this aligned with my values and that like, this was like, yes, I wanted to, I wanted to be a part of like, what what this group of teachers was doing, but I still felt so damn scared. I remember I was at like the back of the group and I was like, kind of like, like kind of like, and like everyone's around, I'd like pretend that I was just in the, I was just in the office to check my mailbox. I don't know what these <laughs> folks, even though my name was on the paper, I'd signed it. Like no one else was in the office. Um, <laughs> and, um, what that lacked was like strategy, right? And there is strategy to like organizing. There's there's intense strategy. There are best practices. Um, there are like how we escalate tactics, right? Um, oftentimes when you look at like unions, you'll see like, you look at like Amazon workers who are organizing or in any sector, like there are buttons, there are t-shirts, there are signs. Um, like you don't go from zero to a hundred in like delivering a demands letter or like planning a sick out or a strike. Um, and like one of the things I always like remind folks is like the best, the best action or like the best strike is the one that we don't need to have because we plan actions. If we plan actions for, if we are unable to reach an agreement with our boss. Mm -hmm. And so ideally you get what you want from your boss and you can say, okay, we don't have to strike. Um, 
but oftentimes those actions are planned to help build power and to actually show like, no, like this is, this is important to us and we're all here doing this action together. Um, but yeah, there's strategy to organizing. Um, and that's also like a big learning curve. Um, at least it was for us, um, which is why it took a long time. Organizing took a long time. It took us like three years um, which is hard when you have staff turnover and you have to organize new people who are coming in, um, changing values, changing issues, just like shifts that occur. Um, and that's why I think along with like fear, I think fear is like a huge piece of why folks um, don't organize or are worried about organizing. But I think the other thing is that it's like, it's slow, long work. Um, it's not a quick fix um, and that's hard because we want quick and fast and like simple and clean, like not a lot of conflict and like quitting your job is kind of that, right? Like quitting your job is like quick and easy, not easy, but like it's not as, it's not as scary in the same way. Yeah. It's like, there aren't as many external factors um, to be worried about in some ways. So, um, but yeah, fear is a big one. But the like flip side to that coin is hope. Mm-hmm. And even in campaigns that don't, and like we saw this with like Luna and the folks at her school, like even in campaigns that don't, result in whatever, you know, in creating a union, there's still, and we saw it with like, we see it with a lot of, in, in other sectors, with other workers too, it's still building a community of people who are working together. It's still um, identifying issues. It's still moving the needle. Um, and so I think that's also important to name that. And in, in, in any organizing, um, whether it's union organizing, whether it's community organizing, is that everything you do is is building power um, and is moving you closer to your dreams. Mm-hmm.